0: From PRX, this is Living on Earth. I'm Steve Kerwood.
1: And I'm Poppy Pascom. On this 53rd anniversary of Earth Day, we celebrate the Earth with special music,
2: poetry, and essays. We sink in the snow as we set out among the mythic giant sequoias. It feels as though we have come to a land of legends as though we are time travelers, wandering into an ancient world, standing before living monoliths 2,000 years old.
0: From massive old trees to the light touch of wild birds.
3: I was lying in a field and I fell asleep. And I woke up because goldfinches were flying so close to me that their wings were brushing my face. And then I closed my eyes and they landed on me. I felt like it was a blessing. I felt like I had been accepted into this wild kingdom.
0: That and more this week on Living on Earth. Stick around. From PRX in the Jennifer and Ted Stanley Studios at the University of Massachusetts, Boston, this is Living on Earth. I'm Steve Kerwood.
1: And I'm Bobby Bascom. Today, we're celebrating the Earth and Earth Day with some music, poetry, and storytelling.
0: Earth Day, as an expression of caring for the Earth, is a movement with moments, including its 20th anniversary back in 1990, when I produced the first pilots for this show, and John Denver took center stage for a massive Earth Day rally on the National Mall in front of the Lincoln Memorial. Rocky Mountain
4: High, Rocky Mountain, High. Rocky Mountain High. Rocky Mountain High High, high, Rocky Mountain High (laughs) (laughs) Thank you very much, and once again, Happy Earth Day! Mr Fuller who was a dear friend of mine the grandfather of the future in many of our opinion said that the major I challenge that. that faces the human race is a metaphysical one and that is to educate people I mean. to the degree I mean, that spontaneous I mean, behaviors spring forth behaviors which will ensure the survival of our species today people all over the world are gathered together people who have heard that voice and who have begun that education and are willing now to take the second step, which is to translate our knowledge into action. We see a world of clean air to breathe and clean water to drink. We see a world without hunger and homelessness. We see a a world without nuclear weapons, a world in which all people are working together to create a sustainable future and a healthy environment.
0: John Denver at the 1990 Earth Day celebration on the National Mall. Now Living on Earth, Jenny Doring is here with one of our favorite poets.
5: Yes, Steve, I spoke with acclaimed poet Catherine Pierce about her poem, Earth, Sometimes
6: I Try to Play it Casual. First, let's listen to her read the poem. Earth, sometimes I try to play it casual. Like, hey Mercury, hey Malachite, I'm busy today. Can't stop to marvel, but always my blood is saying, oh God, you star-sprung miracle. It's self-preservation, letting myself believe laundry matters, letting myself believe there's anything other than egrets and oceans and vast moss carpets and the finite heart of every single person I love. Earth, you terrify me. You are fierce green and honeysuckle, you are herds of wild ponies, and you are leaving always. Is it any wonder some days I look at my laptop instead of out the window? Every time I glance up, there you are, quaking me with your fern fronds and silver frost. Oh, you of the rhyolite mountains, you of the dew-hung web. You are lemon quartz and quicksand, muskrats and starfish. How could I be any way but staggered? Oh, blue spruce, oh, white fir, oh, green forever, you know my nonchalance is a sham. It's so hard to admit our real desires. Earth, what I want is to sit gentle under your twilight purple, watch your bats hunt and dive. What I want is to know about endings and still love each wingbeat, each shade of the boundless, darkening sky. We're calling this a celebration
5: of the earth because I think it's easy for us to forget just how lucky we are to be walking around on this planet, our one and only home. What does the phrase celebration of the earth mean
6: to you when you hear that? To me, it means a couple of things. It means acknowledging everything, being aware of everything, sort of taking that moment to say, oh my gosh. I'm looking out my window right now and I'm seeing daffodils that are starting to bloom and some hyacinths back there. And I live by the woods and I can see these turkey vultures, always turkey vultures (laughs) flying overhead. And it's amazing. I mean, turkey vultures are terrifying, but they're also absolutely incredible creatures. They're huge. And I see them every day and I think, wow, this is an amazing thing to be looking at. It's just by my house and I get to watch these birds fly around. So I think part of celebrating the earth is taking those moments to just be aware of these things, to pay attention to all these things around us. And then I think the other part of it for me is finding a way to let ourselves experience the joy of this planet and all of its wonders, even as we're aware of the crisis that it's in. To give ourselves permission to say, yeah, we can enjoy this. We can celebrate this. We can marvel over this. And also be aware that there is a very, very serious problem that is, you know, continuing daily and getting worse and that we need to fix. And so I think celebrating is a huge part of that. The celebration is what can kind of help spur us to action to make things better. Thanks.
5: Catherine Pierce is the Poet Laureate of Mississippi. Her latest book is called Danger Days.
1: Today, as part of our Earth Day celebration, we have filmmaker, illustrator, and author Lynn Cherry. Lynn is perhaps best well-known for her children's book, The Great Kapok Tree. Her journey to writing started in the woods behind her family
3: home in Pennsylvania. When I was a little girl, we lived by a woods, and it was where I spent most of my waking hours. I just loved every square inch of it. I used to go sit absolutely still. And I learned that if you don't move that it's like you're invisible and all the animals come up and they land on you. They poke you. You get to see what the natural world is like when you're not there. I was lying in a field and I fell asleep and I woke up because I felt these really soft, something really soft brushing my face and I opened my eyes just a little bit, and it was this bright gold flashing by. And then when I opened them a little bit more, it was gold finches. And they were flying so close to me that their wings were brushing my face. And then I closed my eyes, and they landed on me. I felt like it was a blessing. I felt like I had been accepted into this wild kingdom. A lot of the times when I was sitting there, I was drawing. I was looking at what holes in the trees different animals lived in, I was realizing that like every nook and cranny, there's something living in it. And I just got so I knew where each animal lived. So I would write stories. I brought my paper and pen and sat there and wrote stories and did drawings. And uh, my first books were these, just little books, folded paper with crayon drawings of of my adventures. I kept all those books, so I kept, I I have a box with all these little children's stories in it, and I found one as an adult, and I brought it to my publisher, and she said, this is a really good story, but you've improved as an illustrator since you were eight, so could you redo the illustrations and we'll publish the book? And that was this book that was actually published. I actually think I wouldn't have been creative if I hadn't had those hours sitting by myself, watching nature, letting my imagination run free, writing, drawing, and getting to know the animals kind of personally. It's like a meditation. I think it's really important for kids to have that kind of time. I was eight years old when I came home one day and they were bulldozing my woods. Um, I felt like the adults didn't know what they were doing. They had no idea what that what was there when they were destroying it. Maybe they didn't care. And so I felt like I couldn't do anything back then. But then as I got older, I realized kids do have power and that kids can save forests. And so I started sharing the stories of kids who had saved forests with other kids. And then they went out and saved forests. And then I have devoted my life to helping people to save the forest in their own backyards. And that's really exciting to me that they are speaking up to save the places that they love.
1: That's author Lynn Cherry.
0: With me now is author Cy Montgomery. Hey, what do you have for us to help us celebrate Earth Day?
7: I've got turtles. (laughs) Um, I just, I love the symbol of our Earth Day. I love that photo of the blue marble taken from space by the crew of Apollo 17 while on their way to the moon. But I also love an image of our Earth that's much older than that. It's known in many cultures as the world turtle. In Hindu and Buddhist mythology, a tortoise called Akupara carries the world on its back, upholding the earth and the sea. In North America's Haudenosaure, Lenape, and Abenaki creation stories, the Great Spirit creates the homeland by placing earth on the back of a huge turtle. Many still refer to North America as Turtle Island. And indeed, ours is the continent boasting the most turtle species in the world. It's no wonder that turtles— Creatures who arose with and outlasted the dinosaurs are honored by so many cultures. From Alaska's Admiralty Island to Polynesia, native peoples say the world turtle laid the eggs that hatched into the first humans. Who wouldn't be proud to claim such a storied ancestor? Almost everyone loves turtles. For their beauty, for their remarkable longevity, and for their patience a balm to soothe the hurry of the human world. Everyone knows turtles, yet turtles also surprise us. They're more exciting than most of us realize. Many are vocal. Some bark, some whistle. Some begin talking with their siblings and mother even while they're still unhatched babies, still in the egg. Turtles may seem slow, But they're smart. Some species outperform rats in mazes, though they're slower movers, they're faster learners. They have no ears, yet they can hear a human whisper. They help others in distress. Sometimes several will work together to flip a turtle who's upside down. In China, the world turtle is named Ao. The creator goddess uses his legs to prop up the heavens. Without the turtle, we're told, the very sky would fall. And it's true. Turtles are the foundation for many ecosystems. The hawksbill sea turtle protects coral reefs from coral-eating sponges. Gopher tortoises burrows shelter a dozen other species, many of which couldn't live without them. But these creatures who survived the asteroid strike may not survive us. They're among the most endangered vertebrates on Earth. Well over half of the more than 300 species of turtles are in dangerous decline. The usual suspects are at fault. Roads, pollution, sprawl, climate change, plus a deadly and rapidly growing illegal trade in turtles for medicines, pets, and ornaments. So my wish for Earth Day is that we remember turtle wisdom. Even now, a moment in history when it feels like the sky is falling, turtles remind us that we can find a way to regain our connection with creation. My prayer is this, that these strong, slow, smart, ancient creatures inspire us. Like the world turtle, it's time we take our turn upholding our fragile blue marble Earth.
0: Thanks, Cy. Cy Montgomery is the author of The Book of Turtles with art by Matt Patterson, published May 2nd, 2023 by HarperCollins.
1: Coming up, we'll continue our celebration of the Earth and some surprising relationships we can form with wild creatures.
8: Support for living on Earth comes from Sailors for the Sea and Oceana, helping boaters race clean, sail green, and protect the seas they love. More information at SailorsfortheSea.org.
9: We'd like to tell you about one of our sponsors, Aligned Play. As a parent, grandparent, aunt, uncle, or even cousin, we all want the best for our children. And we know that play is the most valuable tool in a child's development, thanks to the teachings of Maria Montessori. That's why Aligned Play is passionate about curating a selection of open-ended toys and play structures that are safe, beautiful, and inspire creativity in every child. As the number one online retailer of children's play gear, swing sets, playhouses, and toys, Aligned Play is dedicated to providing you with high quality products that both you and your child will love. To celebrate our planet, Aligned Play is planting a tree for every purchase during Earth Week, now through April 30. You can add another tree to the count by following them on social media at Aligned Play, all one word, and sharing your sustainable lifestyle choices or your purchase with hashtag Aligned Play through the month of April. Go to AlignedPlay.com and use promo code EARTH10 to save 10% on your first purchase. Aligned Play can't wait to be a part of your child's journey and watch their imagination take flight through the magic of play.
1: Support from our listeners is key to helping us continue providing detailed environmental news and analysis. Go to LOE.org
3: and click donate to learn more.
9: Legendary Academy Award-winning director Oliver Stone is back with Nuclear Now, his first film in seven years, coming exclusively to theaters across the USA and Canada, beginning April 28th. Based on the book, A Bright Future, by award-winning scholar, Professor Joshua S. Goldstein, Nuclear Now explores the possibility of overcoming the challenges of climate change and energy poverty to reach a brighter future through the power of nuclear energy. With unprecedented access to the nuclear industry in France, Russia, and the United States, director Oliver Stone delivers a revolutionary documentary that Variety calls an intensely compelling must-see film. Opening in New York... And Los Angeles on April 28th, with special one day screening events across North America on May 1st. Visit nuclearnowfilm.com to learn more. It's the Living on Earth Earth Day special. I'm Steve Kerwood.
1: And I'm Bobby Bascom. Mark Seth Lender is our explorer in residence who's brought us many thoughtful essays about his interactions with wildlife. And his beautiful photographs can be seen on our website, loe.org. As we celebrate Earth Day, he says we're also celebrating ourselves.
10: I think we're all sort of aware of how beautiful nature is. Anyone who's seen the sunrise on a winter day or seen a flock of birds in a murmuration making all those patterns in the sky, you know, we're all kind of aware of that. But we sort of tend to slip into this thing of thinking of it being different from us, you know, apart from us, particularly wild animals. But The thing that really astounds me and continues to astound me after 35 years is how much like us wild animals can be. So one of the few things I hadn't done was diving with sharks. And these are cage-free dives. They're with sharks called Caribbean reef sharks that are, you know, seven, eight, nine feet long, 150, 170 pounds. And we are three divers. All of us in chainmail suits made out of stainless steel, which is not because you expect to get eaten, but it's a protection against mistakes, really. So, for all intents and purposes, if you're a shark, you would think we all look alike, but no. The sharks figured out they hadn't seen me before. Two of the divers uh, the sharks are familiar with. And they paid a fair amount of attention to the other two, but the person they really came to and surrounded and swam around was me with a regulator in the middle of my face and uh, a mask covering my eyes and brow ridge and my nose and, you know, all of the things that give our faces their features and their singularity. And yet they knew I was different and they were interested in me. And they came up to me and they surrounded me. And when they went all around and over me and down beside me, and they looked me in the eye. So when you put all that together, I mean, I have goosebumps talking about it. You know, you expect to be recognized and understood by elephants. I've had polar bears come up to me and look at me and stand there with their paws in front of their chests, just like a squirrel looking at you going, what are you guys? But to have it with sharks... We don't have a common genetic ancestor with a shark for 420 million years. They're almost as far from us as insects. And yet they saw me and they knew me and they understood I was a being and different from the other beings who, for all intents and purposes, looked just like me. And I think there can be no greater testimony to the magnificence and unity of life on Earth than that.
1: Living on Earth's Explorer-in-Residence, Mark Seth Lender.
0: And we are joined again now by Living on Earth's Jenny Doring.
5: We asked poet Major Jackson to help us celebrate Earth Day, and he selected his poem, The Body's Uncontested Need to Devour. An explanation.
11: I am bathing again burying my face into the great nations of moss. I am leaning in, smelling the emerald mountains and the little inhabitants crossing over rock-like boulders and tree trunks, empired bit by bit. My nose must come to them like a probing spaceship causing a mighty eclipse. They speak in whispers, but do not shriek when gazing into the dim landing bays of my cavernous thoughts. I am grazing like a Dionysian. I come not with religion. I come yearning for first spring and a thirst for spores pooling like mercenaries in the dark. The little gods of the forest live here. I want to ingest their verdant settlements until they carpet my cavities and convert my raptorial self into its own ecosystem, off into the green.
8: Mm.
5: Towards the end, it seems like you're contemplating dissolving into this green world, (laughs) into this ecosystem. Can you talk about that?
11: Yeah. Well, we've all heard the term forest bathing now, mm-hmm. Shinrin Yoku, and mm-hmm.
12: Mm-hmm. the
11: idea of healing through nature. And some part of me uh, experiences that every time I go out as a transformation of sorts. And so in that particular instance, I am alluding to that feeling that I get. But I also, as a Dionysian you know, someone who wants to not only experience that healing, but also someone who believes that this is how we remain alive. We are part of the biodiversity that makes up our ecosystem. So that interrelatedness, that uh, sense of life, giving life is kind of what I'm exploring there, which may mean, interestingly enough, now that you pose that Questionnaire, which may mean a dissolving into the world around us, which we know we're eventually going to do. Mm. So there's this wonderful kind of tension there.
5: Major Jackson is a poet and professor at Vanderbilt University and the host of the Slowdown Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us, Major.
11: Thank you, Jenny. It's been a pleasure.
1: Living on Earth's Ainsley O'Neill is here now with writer Jennifer Younghans as we continue our celebration of Earth Day.
8: Jennifer Younghans has produced commentaries
1: for us that range from stories about the most distant stars to the challenges of a
2: mother coyote living in the city. In honor of Earth Day, she wrote an essay called Legends of the Forest. We think in the snow as we set out among the mythic giant sequoias. It feels as though we have come to a land of legends, as though we are time travelers wandering into an ancient world, standing before living monoliths 2,000 years old. We touch their trunks, some as wide as a theater's stage, and we strain to look upward, following their reach into the sky, hundreds of feet piercing a realm outside of Earth's. They are stately and reverent, but my mind runs wild with the secrets they know and the stories they could tell. Stories of survival and death, love and loss, victory and defeat, of the people, the animals, and the forest itself. All of life has happened across millennia in this very place the generations of Miwok and Washoe people who lived in this forest and came to know these giants, and Augustus T. Dowd, who stumbled upon this grove in 1852 as he stalked a wounded grizzly bear. His discovery drew flocks eager to carve up this priceless old growth for profit, and the wounded bear who fled from Augustus to the forest for cover— did he brush up against the trees we touch? Clamber up them? Did he see what we see? Do we stand upon his final resting place? The sequoia know, and they have their own stories. Their bodies scarified with the passage of time, told in gnarls and hollows, trunks grown askew, and walls of charcoal from lightning bolts that spare no one. As we stop to rest, my friend Matthias pulls out chocolate and we savor it like a sacrament here in the forest. In the quiet, I can't help but think of the abundance of life that calls this place home. Foxes, flying squirrels, porcupines, owls, piliated woodpeckers, bobcats, and bears. I wonder if, in their mastery of their environment, they are watching us, as I daydream of watching them. We weave along the forest floor, we're looking for the mammoth of a hollow fallen tree. We hope to walk through it, but the storm has flooded it, and it looks like a half-sunken ship from medieval times. Instead, we go to opposite sides to wave at each other from afar, like kids do through tunnels. The lengthening shadows tell us it is time to leave, but I'll always return to this true north where life endures, something that will outlive us and generations to come, but only if we tread lightly and choose to fiercely protect this fragile ecosystem. Where the sequoias are the oldest living recorders of the region's history, folding our complicated, messy, and beautiful stories into their own, where we can come to see and feel and touch vaults of time in these statues that live in the forest. Well, we've been thinking a lot about the concept of celebrating the Earth
1: for this Earth Day special. To you, what does it mean to celebrate the Earth? And how is that reflected in this story
2: well we do have such an amazing planet that is worth celebrating every day and for me visiting these trees there's an innate value to them simply because they are there's this intrinsic value because they are simply so beautiful and overwhelming in their in their beauty and their presence And at the same time, you know, we have to think about the value of these trees as a natural resource and everything that they provide to all life on Earth. I mean, they clean our water and they absorb our greenhouse gases and they Mm -hmm. produce oxygen that we breathe and they provide the shelter and food and a habitat for countless flora and fauna, and and this is simply by by being alive. This is simply mm-hmm. what they do. Writer Jennifer Younghans,
0: living on Earth. Paloma Beltran is with us now with a story from the great J. O'Callahan.
2: J.O. Callahan is a master storyteller who has shared some of his most vivid original stories with Living on Earth listeners from time to time over the years. And when we asked him to help us celebrate Earth Day, he spoke of friendship.
13: Earth's good friend is the moon. The moon goes around the Earth every day. One day, the moon said Earth. You've told me about all of your problems, pollution and all. "'but you haven't told me what you like about being the earth.' "'Oh,' said the earth, "'I like my seas, and my bees, and my trees, even my fleas, "'and I like all of my motions, and my salty old oceans, "'and worms. "'I have trillions of worms, and they make the tunnels, "'and the rainwater slips down the tunnels.' like funnels. And water's the roots of the flowers. And the flowers poke up above ground. There are millions of flowers all around, every color red, yellow, and blue, every hue. And people excited come running, and they sing. You've done it again, Earth, you brought spring! They are so happy. And so am I, dear, moon. Because people are helping, finding solutions to the pollutions and all. Isn't that wonderful? I feel like dancing, don't you? Storyteller
2: J.O. Callahan.
0: On the line now from Porter Corners, New York, is Joe Bruchak, Nolhegan storyteller and poet. We're celebrating Earth Day, Joe. Good to talk to you again. How you doing? Oh, I'm good. Kwai kwai ni donba. Hello, my friend.
14: And what do you have for us today for the celebration? I have an original poem that I wrote just for this occasion. It's based on traditions among the Haudenosaunee, the Iroquois people, and the Wabanaki, my own people, of giving thanks and acknowledgement for the gifts that we often take for granted that are all around us. It's called Earth Prayer. Because this earth is our first mother, we say could see ulioni mina tamina, great thanks, again and again. Because all our ancestors could see the rain that falls, the air we breathe, the healing waters, the giving stones, our mother's blood, our mother's bones, our gifts we have been given. It is from this earth that all our lives, those who came before us, those yet to come, like the seeds that sprout with each new spring, have grown, have grown, have grown. And what does this earth ask of us? All that it asks is that we never take too much, always remember, to give back an equal measure for those gifts we may take for granted. And also remember that we must walk with care, always show kindness to all those now here with us, sharing gifts of life and light, Never forget those who share our breath, two-legged, four-legged, those with wings, those who swim or dig into the soil, the grass, the trees, all living things, from the greatest to those too small, to see are also related, one and all. Uli, dogo, wongan, all our relations. So as we continue on this circle, which has no beginning and no end, let us all say to our Mother Earth, could see, Uliuni mina ta mina. Great thanks again and again.
0: Thank you, Joe Bouchard.
14: Dakagui, don't mention it. You are very welcome.
0: Hey, did you bring your flute with you?
14: I did. I thought the flute would be a good addition to this. Uh, the flute really is connected in so many ways to those gifts from this earth, this place. For uh, the flute is basically the hollow branch of a tree that uh, has had holes pecked into it by a woodpecker. And what I'm going to do is improvise a song, and I think within it you might be able to hear the wind, the sound of the birds, and think of the heart of the tree and our own breath that is shared when we play a flute.
1: Coming up, music to celebrate Mother Earth. Stay tuned to Living on Earth.
8: Support for Living on Earth comes from Sailors for the Sea and Oceania, helping boaters race clean, sail green, and protect the seas they love. More information at sailorsforthesea.org. Oregon
2: State University is proud to be a sponsor of Living on Earth, Oregon State is made up of a dynamic community of dreamers, doers, and change-makers. They don't wait for challenges to present themselves. They seek them out and take them on. Their deep-rooted mindfulness and compassion give them the power to uncover answers, discover opportunities, and make an impact, from crushing barriers to creating innovative technologies. Collaborating together, putting in the work, and developing solutions leads to a better world. Believe it. Find out more about how Oregon State is making a difference at oregonstate.edu slash believe-it. That's oregonstate.edu slash
1: believe-it. It's the Living on Earth, Earth Day special. I'm Bobby Bascom. And I'm Steve Kerwood.
9: The problem with doing a speech concerning our environment is that there's so much to say about so many issues.
0: With the U.S. Capitol building as a backdrop, Hollywood star Leonardo DiCaprio spoke as chair of the 30th anniversary of Earth Day in the year 2000.
9: With the ever-increasing population now and the constant need to tap into our planet's non-renewable resources, we are quite frankly creating our own scenario for disaster, which brings us to the solution, clean energy now, and the theme of this year's Earth Day.
0: But more than two decades later, and despite speeches by famous people like Leonardo DiCaprio and numerous political promises, we are many more gigatons of carbon deeper into the climate crisis. The related wildfires, tornadoes, storms, and floods now make headlines almost every day. And even as the climate crisis advances, along with ever more toxic pollution and habitat destruction for countless species, Earth Day has become a shadow of itself, and yes, now more of a moment in April than a movement. The millions who rallied on the first Earth Day are mostly down to just a few thousand who plant trees, clean up beaches, or hold local marches to rebel against extinction. Those huge first Earth Day rallies prompted bipartisan elected officials in the U.S. to create the Environmental Protection Agency, the Clean Water Act, the Clean Air Act, and more. And despite discord over the war in Vietnam, there was the promise we would rise to address the environmental challenges even greater than the famous Cuyahoga River Fire in Ohio that helped inspire that first Earth Day. But 50 years later, with much of the planet itself now on fire, when it comes to the environment, much of the public is not. One could blame the partisan divide or the big lies that some commercial interests have promulgated. But I am tempted to think that too many of us, including the millions who now stay home from Earth Day rallies, have forgotten how democracy works. Those who advance democracy here have marched, whether to dump tea in Boston Harbor in 1773 or cross the Edmund Pettus Bridge in Selma, Alabama, in 1965. Now it seems the most Earth-friendly marches we make are from the kitchen table to the recycling bin, and true recycling is often dubious. I've never met anyone who doesn't love our planet and the life it gives us. Why, then, are so many of those who say they are concerned about the Earth merely standing in silence? The silence of the concerned is a theme of an orchestral and choral work called Lament of the Earth. So as we bring our celebration of the Earth and Earth Day to a close, we turn to some excerpts from the world premiere in 2022 of Lament of the Earth. We typically don't present classically styled music on Living on Earth, but this work evokes the beauty and wonder of our planet as it speaks directly to the question, where are all the people who care? The score for Lament of the Earth was composed by Steve Heitzeg, with many of the lyrics by the late poet Susan Chirwin. With mezzo-soprano Clara Osowski as featured soloist, David Sherwin conducted its world premiere as Artistic Director of the National Lutheran Choir. I asked Maestro Sherwin how Lament of the Earth was born.
15: Well, the idea came about through a series of things, but my wife Susan and I have often had expressed concern about the care for the earth, and also meeting with friends who are indigenous American Indians, and their whole understanding of the earth as a living being, as a living, nurturing being, like a mother, calling Mother Earth. Combined with our—we're involved in a Christian church which, on Good Friday, makes use of the what we call the reproaches, which is Jesus on the cross saying, "Oh my people, what have you done to me? I did this and that for you, and this is what you do in return. And I just imagined if that voice were given to the earth with that same sentiment. And I think that that sort of led to the word lament being involved. (laughs) So it, it kind of grew from there out of a deep concern for the earth and how the arts can speak to that and give the earth a voice in that process. And so that's how it began. many of us understand power in terms of money or brute force, and when Anna Leduc's quote says it's not those things. It's in your soul, and it's what your ancestors and your old people give you, and that power is in the earth.
0: Steve Heitzik composed the music for Lament of the Earth.
14: As an artist, I feel I have a responsibility to not only write the music that I hear, but I want to write music that is for positive social change, for environmental justice, for world peace, because I really feel that the arts can bring people together. Why is it important to use
0: art to carry the message of sustainability?
14: Well, because I think we've all been gifted with the beauty of nature, and to not respect that, as an artist or as an individual is just bad karma. I feel it's uh, immoral, it's wrong on many levels. So, you know, you want to honor things that you respect and that you believe in, you honor. And so writing music is a way of honoring that for me.
0: Susan Cherwin died before the formal world premiere of Lament of the Earth, but she did hear her poetry performed by orchestra and choir. Before her passing, she spoke of its elements of light and dark.
7: There's a slight shift at the end. Uh, Create in me a clean heart. Because in order for the forest to be green, the trees have to be green. And in order for society to change and for humanity to evolve, individuals have to evolve. The earth wants us to evolve and so we move into the fourth movement where we speak as creatures who have discovered our innate connection and our innate beauty as a part of creation.
0: Excerpts of Heitzig and Sherwin's Lament of the Earth, performed by the National Lutheran Choir, David Sherwin conducting. Living on Earth is produced by the World Media Foundation. Our crew includes Fern Alling, Naomi Ehrenberg, Paloma Beltran, Chris Chen, Josh Kroom, Swayam Gognaja, Mark Kausch, Mark Seth Lender, Don Lyman, Justin Neil Mahal, Louie Mallison, Ainsley O'Neill, Sophia Pandolitas, Jake Rigo, El Wilson, and Yolanda Omari.
1: Tom Tiger engineered our show. Allison Learstein composed our themes. You can hear us anytime at LOE.org, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. And like us, please on our Facebook page, Living on Earth. We tweet from at Living on Earth and find us on Instagram at Living on Earth Radio. And you can write to us at comments at LOE.org.
8: I'm Bobby Bascom.
0: And I'm Steve Kerwood. Thanks for listening and happy
8: Earth Day.